Yes, we're going to talk about salvation specifically. In some ways, that's been assumed in what we've talked about um, already. In many ways, what we've talked about is sort of laid various levels of um, groundwork uh, for us to now talk about what is most important. And let's go back to that. We've said already that this is the most important. That them with us in a new heaven and a new earth before the throne of Jesus is the most important thing in our parenting. But let's, let's contrast that. What are the alternatives? Here, here again, I'm going to ask you to brainstorm with me out loud. Uh, what are the possible competitions out there uh, that we might hear and we might be tempted to, to buy into regarding priorities that are not biblical priorities, but, but may even be decent and good priorities. Happiness. So let's just say it. The goal of Christian parenting is not necessarily their happiness. It's not necessarily our happiness. Okay, good. Order, yes, yeah, things predictable and uh, orderly, yeah. So order is not the most important thing in her parenting. Morality, yeah, yeah, them uh, surviving teen years without getting pregnant or getting someone pregnant, it, that's, that's good. That's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing, but, but it's not the ultimate thing, is it? Success, whether that's success in their teen years with their school or their sports or getting into a college or their job outside of college. Great. Acceptance, acceptance. with friends. Yeah, acceptance. Yeah, be, being liked. Right. That, that's a parent can feel pretty good if you've got uh, your son has four friends and they're all pretty nice. Safety. 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 So you're getting the picture. These are all vying for our attention and they're good things, right? We, we want them to be flourishing adults. We, we, we want them to um, do well in school and we can have some good, moral, godly reasons for those desires but they can also vie for what is most important. So J.C. Ryle, in his little booklet, Thoughts for Young Men, he, he speaks to parents and he says, train them with this thought continually before your eyes, that the soul of your child is the first thing to be considered. This is the thought that should be uppermost on your mind in all you do for your children. In every step you take with them, in every plan and scheme and assignment that concerns them, do not leave out that mighty question, how will this affect their souls? How will it affect their souls? So we should think through, yes, plans, decisions, priorities, all those sorts of practical things in view of eternity and in view of their souls. Now, we're not going to navigate it, you know, we're not going to navigate their plans, their priorities, and decisions that necessitates them in heaven. We'll talk about that some more in just a bit. But, but we should be thinking about how little things affect big things with the end of eternity in mind, because eternity is a really long time. 
We've talked about how the Bible is uh, so important in this. Um, Let's get a little bit more specific with the gospel. We need to communicate the gospel to our kids. And we need to communicate the gospel to our kids um, with clarity, frequency, and some measure of variety. You've got to communicate the gospel to your kids. You can't expect that with Bible reading that they're going to get the gospel out of your Bible reading on their own. So you, you can use stories that are essentially conversion stories in the gospel accounts. Uh, you can use people getting saved in the book of Acts as, as a great inroad to talking about what the gospel is. Uh, in our church, we often talk about gospel nuggets. I, I have our church look for gospel nuggets in their Bible reading. And by that, I I mean a verse, not a passage, but just a verse that has enough gospel information in it that someone could get saved simply from that verse alone. So like John 3.16 would be a classic example. Where there you have, you know, God gave his son, that's the cross, right? He gave his son that whoever believes, that's how you get saved. You don't trust your own works. Would have eternal life. There's the result. So use gospel nuggets, use gospel stories. Think through perhaps um, outlines for gospel communication that'll help you hang your thoughts with your kids. So you might have heard of God, man, Christ response. That's a decent way of doing it. Uh, I've often used um, two S's and two R's. There's sin. Substitution, that's sort of the heart of the gospel, right? Jesus in our place. Uh, Response, that's faith, it's not works, not trusting in ourselves, it's not performance. And then results, what are the results? S-S-R-R, sin, substitution, response, and results. You probably can do better than two S's and two R's. I I don't know, I gave up and just said that's good enough and that'll cover the gospel with the kids. So talk about the gospel with clarity, which may also mean talk about what it's not. You know, that simple question, uh, if God said to you this evening, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? It's very revealing. It's very revealing, that that answer. You know, if kids say, well, I was pretty good today. Okay, let's clarify. The gospel is not you were good enough today. God will not let you into heaven because you were good enough one day. Um, it's only because of Christ. So clarify what the gospel is not. Have them try to communicate it in their own words. Have these gospel conversations, again, with clarity, with some variety, and, um, and frequently. Do this often. Get to the gospel. Don't assume that your Bible reading is good enough and won't lead them down one of those paths like just morality or just respect God or we really should do more of X, Y, or Z. As you do that, discuss your own sin, your own guilt, your own faith, your own salvation, your own assurance. If you're saved, tell your kids about it. Tell your kids that you're glad about it, how thankful you are for it. Talk about your, if you've got a story, you've got a conversion story, not everyone knows exactly when they were saved. Um, and that's just fine. 
But some of you do. You've got a story. Tell your story. Tell it often. Tell, tell your kids enough of your story, uh, frequently enough, that they can pretty much fill in the, the rest of the story for you. And then at some point, from time to time, not, not every time you're talking about the gospel, but at times you're turning it towards them. You're talking about their guilt, their sin, their need for a savior, how the gospel relates to them, and how they should respond. Respond in faith, not trusting themselves, not looking for their improvement to be accepted by God. Communicate the gospel with clarity, variety, frequency. Discuss your own sin and faith and salvation and assurance. Talk to them about their own souls. Listen to 2 Timothy 1 and then another passage in 2 Timothy 3 regarding Timothy's faith. Where Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So the gospel gets passed along via people, we could say. We have no information about Timothy's dad. Uh, we know Timothy was half Jewish, half Greek, so it's likely that the mom was Jewish and his dad was an unbelieving Greek. He's nowhere in the spiritual genealogy that came from grandmother to mother to Timothy. So let me just give a word of encouragement to single moms here today. Uh, we've been talking a lot about you know, fatherly, husband leadership and dads leading the way. And I, I know that sort of hits your ears in a, a different way than um, a, a couple of husband and wife. So we just want to encourage you single moms. We know you're pulling double duty. Um, and we want you to know that the gospel goes through grandmas and moms and single moms. And it does effectively. And so you might not feel like you've got all the resources. You might remember whether there's been a husband in the picture or not at one time. Um, just because there are two doesn't mean you feel like you've got all the resources. Uh, we often all feel like we're at the end of our rope, like we're trying to just get the bare minimum done, like, like there's way more to do than we have the time or the energy or even the emotional um, stamina for it. But, but God is faithful. Take, take, take this great lesson from Timothy's salvation that it went through grandma and mother into him. And of course, it doesn't get passed on simply by proximity. And so in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. I think he means grandma, mother, and Paul himself. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel gets passed along via people, and the gospel gets passed along via Bible. So that underscores what we've been saying already. Bible, they need Bible. And of course they need gospel specificity in that Bible reading. And yet, it's not a given, is it? 
It's not a given that because you have faith and because you give them Bible and because you've told them the gospel that they will be saved. God must do it. He uses parents. He uses the word and he uses gospel conversations. But, but there is that thing of the new birth, which is a work of God. So Jesus can say in, in John 1, or John can write in John 1, to all who did receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These were people who were born not of blood, not of heritage, nor of the will of the flesh, nor even of the will of man, but of God. We don't see where the wind is blowing. We only see its effects, right? It just blows the trees, and then the trees move, and you, you didn't see it coming. You didn't know that gust was, was there. And so it is with the new birth. And so it is with our kid's salvation. On the one hand, God must do it. So pray, pray. I mean, this, should, this should not incite hand-wringing, but thoughtful, persistent prayer to God, who alone blows on the leaves of our kids' souls, if he so chooses. And if he so chooses to save our kids, he will use people, Bible, and gospel conversations. And so, you can't say, well, it's all up to him. I can't affect it. No, it's true, you can't affect it. And yet, he uses people in gospel conversations, and so get after those gospel conversations. Let's talk about decisions for Christ, assurance of salvation, the testing of faith, and the fruit that accompanies saving faith. What I'm after is these kind of questions that maybe you've, you've had with your kids and with you know, your spouse. At what age should you try to lead your son or daughter to Christ? When should you give them assurance of their faith? And should you be watching for anything after their confession of Christ? Should you be expecting anything? And here I want to point us to the parable of the four soils. I won't read from it really, but um, you can read it later. I think most of us are familiar with it. It's in Mark 4 and uh, also in Luke. There's soil one where the seed, which is the word in the parable or the gospel, uh, it lands on the ground, but um, the birds come and take it away. The, The birds are like Satan. They just... You know, the gospel never even began to germinate in that soul. And there's soil two, which is called the rocky ground soil. And there, the seed lands on the soil and something begins to grow up, it would appear. But Jesus says it only endures for a while and then tribulation and persecution comes and immediately they fall away. And there's soil three. And this is the one where it grows up among the thorns. So the seed lands on the ground, it begins to grow up, but then the thorns choke it. And the the thorns in this case are the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. So it looked like it was real, but then love of money 
love of possessions choked it out and it proved to be not real. And then, of course, there's the fourth soil. It lands on good soil. The seed lands there and it germinates and it, and it bears fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But all of that represents just one salvation, one kind of soil. So how do we know what our kids are? What kind of soil are we dealing with? What sort of positive response for the gospel is the real thing and the lasting thing? Now, I grew up in a church tradition that said, you say this sinner's prayer and poof, you are a Christian. Immediate assurance because you said these words. And then if you doubted that, they would say, Ryan, this was told to me by one of our deacons, look, look in your Bible. You wrote this date down when you said the prayer, and therefore you are a Christian. I remember thinking, yeah, but you don't know. I, I live exactly like my friends at my public school. I'm just as bad as they are. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about the Bible. I just don't want to go to hell. And so I, I'm here to talk about my, my lack of assurance um, but whatever you think that prayer did, it didn't take, man. I remember coming across like a different worded version of the sinner's prayer and thinking, maybe this one will work. Or, or, you know, oh, shoot, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. Make sure you say the sinner's prayer one more time just in case, in case the other ones didn't really catch. And you can tell I was essentially trusting in a formula. I was trusting in words that were supposed to represent the gospel and represent the Savior and represent the cross, but I wasn't putting my trust in the Savior or the cross. I was putting my trust in this formula. And I knew I wasn't saved, despite the fact that everyone around me said, well, you said the prayer, you're saved. Yeah, I didn't begin to bear fruit at any time in my teen years until I was about 17 or 18. And I was reading 1 John, and I was... Uh, seeing all the things that Christians are and the things Christians do, and I knew none of those were me. And uh, I remember praying, God, you're just gonna have to save me some other way. Like I've tried the prayer thing, it didn't work. What now? Just save me, please, just save me. And it was probably the best sinner's prayer I ever prayed because it, for once I was actually utterly dependent on him for salvation. And I wasn't looking at the words to say for my assurance. I was looking at a savior who would save me. So it's a tough thing when to know whether to give assurance to our kids. At what age, at what point? You know, I was told at, at age eight and 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 that I was a Christian. I don't think I was. I don't think I was. And so I don't think I was helped by that repetition of, you're a Christian. I wasn't. Peace, peace, where there was no peace. So, so what about your kids? What about their assurance of salvation? How does this work for, for them? What we have in the book of Acts is a lot of adult conversions. Now, pr presumably, some kids as well got saved. You know, it does say that the Philippian jailer, him and his household, believed and were saved. 
Who knows how young some kids were that were saved in that household? We just don't know. But when we see adult conversions take place in, say, the book of Acts, we have to acknowledge, just like it is true today, when when your mechanic who wasn't saved then decides to embrace Christ, there was an immediate fork in the road for them that is true for adults and isn't true for kids, not kids that are raised in a Christian home. What I mean is, when your mechanic decides to trust Christ, he has to decide to give up whatever he was believing in and trusting in before. So he was an atheist before, and his family knew he was an atheist. They liked it. They're an atheist family. I mean, that's the intellectual type, right? I mean, they know there's no God because they they believe in science. Well, for him to become a Christian, he has to abandon that. He has to leave that. He has to, in some ways, not relationally, but he has to part ways with his family, in a sense, at least in in their belief system. That's a fork in the road. That's, that's hard. And, and, and of course, it's harder for um, other people of different faiths. But your kid and my kids, they grew up in a home that is totally pro-Jesus. Everything's pro-Jesus. Everything, it, like Jesus isn't debatable. Uh, Jesus isn't a, a cuss word. Jesus isn't some magician from the first century in our home. Jesus is Lord and Savior in our home. That's just the only way we talk about him. And then our kids begin to like Jesus. No no surprise, they should. They like Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. They should. But I'm not sure that's a miracle. I'm not sure that's the new birth. Being pro-Jesus in a pro-Jesus house is actually easy. So in our house, uh, we gave the gospel. We talked about their salvation. We told them what to do in relation to the gospel, to believe it, to trust it, to cling to Christ and not to yourself. But we didn't right away give assurance. When they would say, Dad, do you think I'm a Christian? I wouldn't say yes or no, I would say this. I would say, well, what are Christians? They are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins because he died on the cross for them. Do you believe that? Yeah, Dad. Well, this might be the real thing then. Just keep watching. And then I would use um, the parable of the four soils, that there's some usefulness in just, just, just keep watching. Or I'd just use a, a simpler analogy of just a, what looks to be like an apple seed. Let's imagine we just find a seed somewhere around the house. What is it, Dad? Well, it looks like an apple seed. and It's for an apple tree. I don't know. I mean, it looks like it might be. Let's put it in the ground. Let's water it. Let's see what happens. And then you wait. And you watch. And you water some more. You come out and you say, it's looking good. It's looking like an apple tree. I mean, just a little sprig, but I mean, let's just keep watching. We'll keep watering. We'll protect it. And then you keep watching. And then one day it's so clear. Oh, this is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's clear. So I think it is useful to think of the conversion of kids in a Christian home as slightly different than the conversion of your mechanic 
in his 40s. One difference is that there's nurture. There's nurture going on. There's watchfulness going on. We're not presuming that their pro-Jesusness is necessarily a surprise or necessarily the new birth. It may just be they like Jesus because we like Jesus. Just like they like Batman because we like Batman. But let's keep watching. Let's keep watering. Let's stay positive so you're not suspicious, you're not skeptical. Um, Clint just reminded me right before we had this, this talk um, that one of our kids, my, my youngest, Will, when he was fairly little, maybe three years old or four or something, he said, of course I'm saved. And my daughter, older than him, said, uh, no, you're not. Right, Dad? <laughs> well, she spoke for Dad, and she shouldn't have, because I would not have worded it that way, right? So we were all nurture. We were all watchful and watering and not discouraging faith or even discouraging assurance necessarily, but neither would we rushing them to the waters of baptism and rushing them to write some date down in their Bibles because they were willing to make a decision for Jesus. It's just the way it works, it seems like, in, in Christian families where the gospel is everywhere and we want them to believe it, but we want it to be the real thing. We certainly don't want to give assurance. And, and then 13 hits. And there is nothing Christian about what they're doing these days. And you don't know what to do because you've been telling them for, what, seven years, eight years, six years? You've been telling them, you, you, of course you're a Christian. Of course you should trust, you should trust that you're uh, saved. And 13, 14, 15, oh boy, this isn't just a season. This isn't just a thing. This may indicate that the, it didn't really take. It wasn't the real thing, not yet but maybe they're still going to think that they're saved and think that they're safe. And that's the worst possible situation to be in, to think that you're safe with God when you're not safe with God. So we give them the gospel. We talk of our salvation. We get them to think on their own of their salvation, of their spiritual state before the Lord. They certainly shouldn't presume that they're saved just because they're in a Christian home and maybe not even assume that they're saved just because they've made a decision for Jesus and confess him and, and are able to articulate the biblical gospel. That might be the real thing. It may have even happened right then. Well, let's just keep watering. Let's keep watching. Let's see if it bears fruit. And then they're going to hit some teen years or even 11, 12. Fork in the road. Am I going to go with Jesus or am I going to go with Johnny? Johnny wants to go vandal the neighbor's house. Jesus doesn't like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do I go with Jesus on this? Do I go with Johnny? Fork in the road. That's a time where it's, I think, useful to begin to see, like we see in those soils. Persecution comes. Stick with Jesus. Give up on Jesus. That second soil. Uh, start getting some money, some possessions. This is nice. 
or Jesus? Well, third soil people, they, uh, they, they took the road of money and materialism and gave up on Jesus. But the fourth soil, they, bared, they, they bore fruit. Let's pray that God would bless our kids with that kind of salvation. We pray. Oh Lord, our, our hearts are heavy with the weight of these things and our weakness with our, our lack of power to affect this. And so we pray to you for our children's salvation. We pray for you to save them like only you can. We pray for wisdom and knowing when it's been the real deal, when it's been your work and not just environment. Lord, we pray for those here who have kids that are now in adulthood and it's painfully clear that they're not saved. And yet if they have breath, perhaps today would be a day of salvation for them. We pray for the ongoing ministry of parents to their adult kids who remain in unbelief. We pray for wisdom in navigating the gospel with them. We pray for their prayers for their kids. We pray for you to do what only you can do. Lord, we thank you for our children, frustrating as they might be at times. We thank you, Lord, for this assignment of shepherding them and shaping them May we do it with discernment. May we do it with diligence. May we do it, Lord, unto your eternal glory and their eternal salvation. We pray in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.